you know, I did get on telly and I was, you know, was flown around the world in different countries, do publicity and that whole publicity round, you get caught up in radio interviews in Paris and London and Canada, all very exciting. And then it came to an end. I was like, well, phone stopped ringing. I wasn't, you know, wasn't overnight famous. And suddenly I realized that I was exhausted. And I, I didn't realize it properly with my with my mind. I said, like, well, I'm going to do my next project and do my next idea. But none of the ideas that popped into my mind, and as I said, I'm an ideas person, so there are always ideas. None of them had enough energy. And what I realized I needed to do was to do nothing. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. What is the impact on us as human beings when we never have a single spare moment, when we fill every minute with doing something productive, or even looking at our phones in order to kill time? That's a question that gripped Lawrence Shorter after he'd written a really successful book and toured it around the world and found himself to be completely burnt out. And that's when Lawrence started to think about the art of having no idea. Lawrence is a leadership consultant, an author, a comedian, and an artist. I've known him for somewhere around a decade when he spoke at my event, Scanners Night, for people with too many ideas and too many interests and lots of creativity. He is a scanner himself, and he has fascinating things to say about being a multifaceted human being and managing his own creative process. Hi, Lawrence. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, John. Nice to see you. Beardy, fellow beardy. I know. And we met probably about a decade ago in the basement of a restaurant where I was running my Scanners Night event for creative people with lots of ideas. And you are the ultimate person with lots of ideas. With so many fascinating different ideas. That's why I wanted to talk to you and um, and find out about some of these things that you've been working on. Most recently, the art of having no idea. Yeah. What well, you that? know, when you have when you have that many ideas, you know, you have to you have to one day call time out, right? You, you, well, either you're someone who's very good at executing on ideas, and you and you've got a great filter for ideas, and you make them happen, or you test them and then let them go, and then so on. And I believe there are people like that, but I'm not someone like that. I'm someone who has ideas just for the sake of ideas. I will just I'm almost like an idea machine, and um, I think that's the writer in me, the creative in me, and I'm I'm an odd, I'm an odd mix because I started out life, you know, in a creative family, very creative, quite disorganized, quite lefty, um, and then went to university, did, just went hell for leather for the A levels and university stuff, went to Oxbridge and ended up working in McKinsey and uh, and cons- consultancy firm and and um, finance and so I I kind of grew this part of my brain that was highly analytical and very logical and um and yet inside me there's a there's a sort of creative and the creatives i think just love having ideas just for the sake of it i mean the, what's the best thing a creative can have is just being paid for, for having ideas or being or being you know to, or getting approval or 
or love for having ideas because it, because it's just fun. And so I've always I've spent a lot of time wrestling with trying to fit stuff into uh, a project or a logical pattern. Or you know, we were talking just before this about you know creating marketing plans and so on. And, and nothing has ever stuck for me because although um, when I come up with ideas, they sound really good. Like they sound like they should be, they should run and run. But there's a part of me that gets bored once I've done it, and then I want to do the next idea. So the art of having no idea is a um, it's actually the fruit of a long inquiry, and um, the the basic strapline of the art of having no idea is it's impossible to have a good idea unless you first have no idea, and discriminating between ideas that are like mind fluff, you know, pocket fluff, um, that don't have any sustainability uh, or influence, and they're not perhaps even original, uh, discriminating between those and ideas that are genuinely inspired and have the energy inside them of action is the art of having no idea. And it's a journey I began when I finished my first book, The Optimist, which was a classic Lawrence idea. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this book and it's going to be a you know, radio series and and I'm going to be on telly, and I'm going to interview everyone in the world, and it's going to solve all of my problems. I mean, it's going to tick all these different boxes for me. You know, it's going to be funny, entertaining, intelligent, informative. It's going to change the world. And I had all these boxes I wanted to tick, and I did it. And you know, I got a great publishing deal, and someone at the door who just rang the doorbell, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, and it took three years of my life, and. I almost, I'd say I almost burned out. John, I'm going to have to tell my wife that the doorbell is wrong. I'm really yeah, sorry. Okay, sure. She wonder right. if I do that. Yeah, go on. Narina, doorbell rang. Sorry about that. <laughs> She's outside. Yeah, we're in yeah. quarantine. Yeah. Oh, so right. if someone rings, it might be the police. Oh, anyway. So, or just Amazon. So um, I found myself on the other side of this, having written this book. and. I, you know, I did get on telly and I was, you know, was flown around the world in different countries, do publicity and that whole publicity round, you get caught up in radio interviews in Paris and London and Canada, all very exciting. And then it came to an end. I was like, well, phone stopped ringing. I wasn't, you know, wasn't overnight famous. Um, and suddenly I realized that I was exhausted and I, I didn't realize it properly with my, with my mind. I was like, well, I'm going to do my next project and do my next idea. But none of the ideas that popped into my mind, and as I said, I'm an ideas person, so there are always ideas. None of them had enough energy. Um, and what I realized I needed to do was to do nothing. And it was very hard for me because I come from this very driven kind of uh, achievement-oriented educational background, you know, exams, getting in, getting approval, jumping the, the hurdle. Uh, achieve, 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 achieve ideally by the time you're 30, and if not by 40, you know, make your million and be whatever, pursue your dreams, all that stuff that everyone is hooked on. And, and so the idea of not doing something was anathema to me. But I got up in the morning, I couldn't, I couldn't will myself to do anything. It was as if my body said, no, I'm done. I'm done. You've pushed me too far. This isn't how I want to live. This this, yeah, 
I, I, I like to say how odd it is, especially when you're a freelancer or you run your own business. It's almost like you're two people. You've got your head, it's the manager, and then you've got your, the rest of you. And you expect the rest of you to do everything, right? And you sort of you tell it to do stuff, and then it doesn't always want to do stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we all struggle with motivation because we're almost, we're trying to get, we're trying to get the most out of ourselves. And in this case, my body just said, no, I'm not, not interested. And, and whatever the biochemical reasons were, uh, adrenal exhaustion, perhaps, or, or, you know, depression caused by, um, you know, suppression of emotions that I had for years. Uh, the consequence was that I took three or four months and did nothing. And absolutely, you know, to go to the park every day and I'd sit, sit on a bench, get up early in the morning. I didn't watch telly, didn't read books. And I just allowed myself to do nothing. And it was an amazing experience. It was difficult because I, you know, felt, it felt uncomfortable. But the consequence was after three or four months, I could feel my, um, a deeper kind of mojo coming back. And I started drawing, just started drawing pictures and cartoons and like I was a kid again. And it was like a part of me, just a part of me woke up again. A part of me that had been asleep for a long time that had been sidelined really during school and upbringing woke up. I was like, um, I'm going to be part of your life from now on. Um, and out of that insight, um, the, sorry, the insight being that when I stopped doing things, there's something else that wants to happen that is more powerful and creative than the ideas that my brain comes up with. And those things can express as ideas, but it comes from a deeper source. And from that came the lazy guru. Um, the lazy guru name just popped into my head during that time. It became a book. It also, I ran it, you know, I did, uh, workshops and i had something called the lazy guru self-organizing university uh where i invited people everyone who came along was like faculty you know everyone came along and like an unconference and this sort of the lazy guru thing flourished for a few years and it was lovely because it came out of that space and now the art of no idea is my way of grounding this insight and the insight is that Unless you protect space for non-achievement, unless you create space for, non, for, for not having to do a task of some kind, then creativity is really not going to be there. It's going to be very shallow. And I'm including meditation, yoga, going for a run in the list of tasks. Often we will lay a trip on ourselves. I don't do enough X, Y, Z. I should do more. Blah, blah. And what is actually happening is our nervous systems are very keyed up and very, you know, we're on, uh, often on a very high alert. And how we relax and unwind is often quite stimulating too, whether it involves alcohol or, or, or Netflix or going to the gym. It's, it's also quite keying up the nervous system. And so when you create that space, the space of not having to know what you're doing, it's uncomfortable, but it allows your body to recover and rest and the mind, and then you can go, you can tap into that unconscious space. So I love, obviously, I love monologuing, which is what I've just been doing. No, <laughs> so. but I, I love this idea. And I, you know, I'm really addicted to Facebook and it's so easy to feel every single moment. Like if I stop 
for five minutes for a break or something after a task or, you know, after we've talked. It's so easy to go to Facebook and look it up and just, you know, get a hit from likes and comments and whatever else. Uh, or look at something else on your phone. And it, I really have to force myself not to do that. And I have to remind myself, John, be bored. You know, just stare out the window and just allow yourself to have nothing on your mind. And it's same when I'm in a queue or I'm waiting for a bus or something. It's like, don't reach for your phone. I have to kind of <laughs> tell myself, just be bored. Because that's when actually... I, what I realised, I've become less creative in the last few years. And I think the two things that have contributed to that is filling every moment, be, mostly with, you know, stuff on my phone. And the other thing is surfing social media instead of reading books. Because reading books and doing nothing seems to be the two things that fire up my ideas for writing. So I, I'm absolutely fascinated in what you've come up with. Have you turned it? So is this, what is the art of having no idea? So is it a book yet? Is it, are you running yeah, workshops thanks. or something? Yeah. So, so the, the, uh, as I said, this, the, the experience of this first happened to me, what, 10 years ago, the burnout and the, and the insight. And uh, what I feel has happened is I've been integrating that and learning more and more about, well, how do you make that real? And what I've understood is that in order to be creative, so some people have, a, and you know, we call them artists or musicians or whatever, uh, have the natural disposition of being creative. And that is an amazing mixture of structure and freedom. And if you read books about creative people, and there's a, there's a wonderful book that I recommend to everyone called Daily Rituals, um, the um, author of the name of which of the author, I, I forget, but it's easy to find. It's a brilliant book. And it, in the, he researched the daily habits of um, artists, inventors, scientists, um, and they are. I mean, there's and there's dozens and dozens men and women. And you read through it, you get a real sense for at the heart of the creative person, although sometimes dysfunctional uh, and addictive and very unhappy. Uh, uh, and there's a spectrum, you know. Some of them, some of them are very happy. But they all had this combination of ruthless discipline and commitment with an extraordinary kind of freedom and playfulness. Um, and they could be very disorganized and chaotic in the rest of their life, but they were, there was a rigidity about their, their work, their creative work. So the insight was, and I've always struggled to carve the time out to be creative, is that creativity is, first of all, something that we, we are all capable of. Um, it's, it's a human right and it requires holding. It requires structure, a bit of holding structure. And if you, if you're wired into the transactional mode of being, uh, a commercial mode of being, um, service transaction, you know, the, the whole capitalist commercial system that we're in and my brain is really wired into it, responding to emails and making things happen. It's very difficult to create the new wiring, the new neural pathways, literally, of creativity, unless you create that structure. And that structure is very, what I call holding structure, is very hard to do unless there's accountability. And so my, uh, the Art of No Idea is set up as a monthly group. Uh, I set a challenge each month. And the challenge is something very simple, by the way, like 
you're going to time yourself doing nothing for 20 minutes today. Each day, you have 10 to 20 minutes of doing nothing. Right. I, I want this. I want it. Yeah, so, yeah. so what is it? Is it a Facebook group or something that you're no, running no, in? Or a, what? No, it's, it's a it's a it's a course I've set up on a subscription platform. Very very low co- donation at the moment because I'm still in beta, and it should be a Facebook group because that would give it more of the community thing. The essence of it is, we all need a bit of a nudge to do what we know we need to do. And just like changing habits, getting creative requires creating new habits in ourselves. And, I, and I, the only reason I can talk about this is because I'm so bad at it, or I've been so bad at it, that it's given me an insight. And just as the world, and this is the big picture, you know, the grandiose stuff I'm going to say, just as the world is needing to shift from a, from a transactional um, uh, consumerist mode into something that we don't know what it looks like yet, a much more creative society, a much more creative world. And creativity implies collaboration and openness and not knowing what's going to happen. Um, we each need to individually rewire. We're, we're each experiencing that shift, and it's quite hard. It's hard for us to rewire ourselves, so we need to help each other out. Yeah. I, I, I think this is fascinating. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, something I'm very interested in. And now, meanwhile, alongside all of this, is your day job um, working with uh, corporations and stuff? Is that very different? <laughs> well, like I said, there's these two parts of me and you're almost the hemispheres. And I know that that model has been debunked a bit. The brain hemisphere is corresponding really in a really simplistic way to analysis and creativity. You know, And yet it is as if, um, there are uh, the, the task of my life has been to bring together those two sides. So the part of me that can be bullet pointy, you know, and uh, I think a plan will solve everything, and uh, logically rigorous and analytical is actually a great gift, right? And I can really help people get clear on things. Um, but without and the creative part of me, you know, like a just when I'm at a festival or whatever, it's like. <laughs> You know, I'm a bit of a nutter, right? So, but integrating, weaving them together, weaving them together so that I don't have two identities online, that's, that's been the path of the last couple of years, the last and probably five years. So that, yes, I do corporate work. And most of my day job is coaching um, individuals who uh, work in professional services or they run companies at partner or CEO level, or at least manager level, senior manager level, or their teams. But I do my best to bring this stuff into it. And actually, coaching is anyway, at its heart, the art of having no idea. Because you can't coach someone, really, without being totally available in the moment, as if you're you know, playing tennis. And that's where I feel hopeful that the integration between those two sides is in the art of having no idea. It's the essence of it all is that openness and that has a neurological correspondence that is less wishy-washy than it might sound. Well, in fact, there is some research, isn't there? But it's the point when your brain is ticking over and not particularly doing anything, but it starts to do some rebuilding and some other work, but it doesn't get a chance to do when you're concentrating. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there's science behind it. And there's, and John Cleese talks about it quite a lot as well. He's just, put a book out about creativity 
And the, the book, you know, the book and the whole concept of flow um, touches on that. And yet I think it's still not yet well understood that creativity is an essential, regardless of whether you're an artist or not, and that it's a capacity that um, everyone needs to develop. So I bring it into my work whenever I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but just the last thing I'd say yes. to that is I would love to be even more myself in my work, meaning I am here I am and I don't need to prove, I don't need to be professional. Uh, and in fact, that's why you're buying me because I'm not a professional. You're buying well, me because I've I, got no idea. And I think, I think to a certain extent you can do that. You know, I've, I've got some friends who are kind of a bit like that. And, um, you know, my friend, a rock and roll psychotherapist, Jerry Hyde, who sort of turned up at a ad agency and but unfortunately got kicked out at the point he suggested everyone take ayahuasca or was it microdosing mushrooms? I can't remember. But anyway, um, also Jamie Cato, there's an image of him talking at some big conference. It's just him, you know, former rock star, he's being faithless, just sitting back doing the thing, the kind of stuff he always does, and he tells individuals. And um, and getting a you know, getting paid all the more because he doesn't compromise. So I think you can do it. I think my theory is it you have to just kind of have the the kind of I don't know what it is. You have to kind of behave like a star a bit more and just, just go like, here I am and I'm amazing, but without being obnoxious about it. When you, when you work out how to do it, let me know. (laughs) That's all, that's all true. And, um, I find I can do that when I'm, um, invited to do that. What, what I think the, the big, um, sticking point for me, and I would imagine for many people, especially now is, Oh, I've got to create the platform for myself to show up. I've got to create the, um, I've got to 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 do all this transactional tasky stuff in order to then relax and be a rock star. And actually, that's not how rock stars roll, right? Rock stars don't they don't do that. Someone else does it for them. So the the edge I'm at at the moment is, and this is why the art of having no idea is important for me is be in that space every day, be the rock star. Do what you feel like doing. Don't do the other stuff. Just don't do it. And that is a trick for me. That is that is tricky for me because I've got kid, kids and a wife to feed and because I've got my own success templates that cause me anxiety. Um, but I've got to do it. There's no other way. You've got to be the change you want to see in the world, right? So yeah, I've got to be yeah. rock and roll. And I'm certainly a, a proponent of the you know, we're all humans, let's stop kidding. So I don't do any corporate work, but if I did, I think, well, everything I do, I try and live the values of, you know, we're all humans here. Let's, let's stop pretending that we're, we're sort of, there's some sort of professional version of us, which doesn't have feelings and doesn't have problems, doesn't have bad days. Um, let's be a bit more authentic. I mean, still professional in the sense, but you, if someone pays you to do some work, you do the work. But otherwise, you don't have to kind of, you don't necessarily need to dress up. You don't necessarily need to, you know, be, use a certain kind of language that you wouldn't use elsewhere. Yeah, although funnily enough, I've realized that on that note about dressing up, see what I'm wearing now, right? So I I bought a bunch of shirts in my 20s and 30s that I, I, that I you know, I thought I'd never wear again. Um, and I because I've got to let go of that identity, right? You know, German street shirts and this sort of, you know. And then... I'm such a natural scruff 
that I realized it wasn't making me happy. And in the last, literally the last couple of, week, a couple of days, the last week, I'm like, do you know what? I kind of like looking a bit smart because people are like, you know, I feel a little bit of dignity with my scruffy beard and my, you know, bald, like scarecrow hair. And transmitting some of that paradox to people, I think is quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. No, I think that's good. And, uh, and I get what you mean about dressing up because sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm sitting around the house and I think I'm actually too indecent to go to Tesco's. You know, I'm, I'm, too, <laughs> I'm too poorly dressed to even get on the bus. So, uh, and there's a moment when you do kind of put some, you just smile yourself up a bit. It, it has an effect. So it's a kind of gathering together. It made me think when you were talking earlier about having boundaries. I think of it, when I was studying at Spectrum Psychotherapy Centre, uh, doing their develop their courses for psychotherapists they talk about formative psychology which is how the body shapes your experience kind of it's a simple version um stanley kellerman's work of formative psychology there was another term for it as well but i've forgotten and one of the things they said is that it's about you have to form yourself to go to work and so the reason why people struggle on a monday morning is because they've they've changed their shape physically so you kind of become a little bit more of liquid over the weekend and you sort of become this, you know, sofa person. And you're like, you could almost be poured into a, you know, a, a container in whatever shape the container is. And then you have to kind of start to pull yourself up. And there is, you know, there's diagrams in Stanley Kellerman's books, which, which by the way, are impenetrable if anybody wants to look at them. But if you, there are diagrams which are beautifully drawn of people forming themselves and moving upwards and outwards and stuff. And so this, the leader of the, one of the founders of Spectrum said, uh, you know, the problem with Monday morning is you're still forming your professional body. So you don't have a physical shape yet. And it's only about halfway through Monday where you actually like a, okay, let's get some shit done. And so the, there is, there's that sense of there's, um, you know, there's that pulsing as well. They talk about pulsing between, between formed and unformed. And I think what I thought about when you talk about the creativity thing, needing boundaries, is it's a bit like if you don't give children boundaries, and since you've recently become a parent, um, it is not good. It's not like they thank you for it. it it's actually very anxiety-inducing because if you don't know where the walls are, and you don't know whether it's almost like you're in a, you're, you kind of, there's no limit and you don't know where you're going to fall off and go too far. It's actually a very anxiety producing state for a child to be in. And I think because creative people are probably, you know, the naturally creative people you were talking about, they need, they particularly need that structure because otherwise they will spin out because they're so full of ideas and they're so unbounded within themselves they need a structure which allows them to be creative every day safely mm. and still like you know you like t.s Eliot working at the bank of england all his life oh wow did he yeah philip larkin being a librarian um but yeah yeah on that note um just um what you said about children picking up on that my um in, in the little constellation of insights, I don't know if they if they if they deserve the term insights or not. But for me, the aha moments are the the creative faculty is very it's very associated with the child, the inner child. And um, if as a child you were not properly contained or boundaried, 
or you were boundary too strongly, uh, over-disciplined or under-disciplined, which often happens. You know, you can often have both. I think I had a bit of both. Then the the play part, the creative part, doesn't feel safe. And so it's all about, in a way, it's about reparenting yourself. And for me, there's a kind of a re uh, a nurturing of self that this is about at its at its heart. This is about nurturing. It's cradling the self so that it feels safe enough to be creative. And I I would say it takes me. I can spend hours in the day before I get to the point of feeling safe. But you don't know it. It's not like I feel unsafe and panicking. So no, I'm just doing computer stuff. And who on it? Who, which actual mammal in their right mind would do computer stuff? They wouldn't. <laughs> they felt really safe. If you felt if you felt totally safe, well, I'm a billionaire. I don't need to do anything. You wouldn't go, did you? <laughs> For hours and hours, you wouldn't. You, you, you'd use your computer sometimes. But if you felt completely safe, probably your relationship with work would be different. I can reach that, I call it going in the zone, you know, or being in flow. It, I can reach it a couple of times a day <clears throat> and I really feel I'm in it. Oh, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm kind of in, it in this moment. I don't want to stop. I think I envy people who are in it more often. Um, but I acknowledge that having been mildly traumatized by lack of safety or boundaries when I was young, the creative part of me needs to be really held and contained. And I need to be very forgiving about it if I don't wake up feeling creative. If I manage to be creative an hour or two a day, that's brilliant, even half yeah. an hour. No, that's really interesting. And I can relate to a lot of this um, and, uh, and that feeling of safety uh, and spending time getting there. I mean, you mentioned, you know, billionaire feels completely safe. Well, interestingly, of course, what happens if people who win the lottery or people who cash out of their business, they actually unravel. So they have a kind of existential crisis because, and it's and in a lesser way, you see it in people who I work with who quit their jobs or lose their jobs. And then they go, well, now I'm going to work on finding my business idea or my career or whatever it is. And I go like, well, wait a minute, get a job in a library or in the bank, like T.S. Eliot or whatever, because you need some structure. You need to be putting on a, some smarter clothes and going out to work, maybe two days a week or something, or one day a week, so that there is a rhythm to your week. Otherwise, it's like there's the rest of your life in one long line, and it all looks it's like this giant wasteland of, uh, of desert and for you to fill in. And very few humans actually have so much um, uh, structure within themselves but they can use that and they can kind of go like, okay, right, well, Monday's going to be my day when I do research. Tuesday is going to be like sports day. Very few people are able to do that they, because they've, they've always had a job. Most of us have always had a job or been at school. And so to suddenly have complete freedom that goes on indefinitely, not just for you know, a summer holiday, is really, really stressful. And it rarely goes well. So I recommend uh, people be very careful about going down that strategy unless you are you've done all the thinking work before you left your job and you go this is what I'm going to do and then as soon as you quit you might allow yourself a week or two off for holiday but then you go like right I'm building this business because um I I I don't think that contradicts what you're saying because I think you need the gaps within that to where you're not doing anything where you're bored where you have no idea 
but you also need something that's giving you structure uh, longer term. Yeah, you need a, you need some kind of a, a, a structuring project or focus. And um, I agree with with what, what you say. Um, I think there are are people who who get good at it. Um, artists have to, creatives have to, um, and I know a couple of um, you know professional playboys as well who've managed to. Uh, Go through the, uh, I'd say the um, the painful uh, the painful experiences of, of of you know living in the void, and they've just learned that for their own sanity they need to structure and you know be productive and methodical without having a job. So um, it's possible, but like you say, I think you need to do the work first, and maybe it's about um, it's about choice, isn't it? Because if I choose that I want to, I'd really love to be a painter. Well, I'm going to commit to that structure, and that structure is limitless and open-ended and scary. But if I've got the um, I've got the bottle for that, and the talent and the desire, then I can do it. And for me, it is um, this thing about vast open space. It's, it's frightening. It's, it's actually being a person is rather frightening, if you, especially if you're not in a job. And more and more jobs themselves are very, you know, they're very transient. And so it's, it's, being a person is frightening because you you realise more and more it's all down to you, and um, unless you live in some kind of Nordic paradise of um, um, welfare state thing, where you know you can relax, and you know that somehow your survival is going to, and and the people who depend on you is all down to you. It's frightening. I wake up and think, geez, it's all down to me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you know, and it's overwhelming. So again, like the child, to go back to the child, that child needs to be soothed and. Uh, and taken care of. So if you can take care of yourself, um, then you can be creative and you can achieve some of your potential. No one's ever going to achieve all their potential, right? That's why the word's called potential. <laughs> but uh, you can achieve some of your potential, right? Yeah, good. Well, that's a, like, a good note to end on. If if um, if we people want to find out all about Lawrence Shorter, where should they go to, Lawrence? Thanks, John. So I've got a website um, which um, does its best to be both of my bits, but it's rather professional looking when you come into it. Uh, uh, don't be put off by the corporateness of it. I'm, you know, you know who I am, uh, a raving madman. Um, LawrenceShorter.com. So that's L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E, Shorter, just how it sounds, um, slash courses. If you just go to that, that lays out the the art of having no idea would love um, anyone to join and it's a rolling thing. So it doesn't have a start date. It starts every month. And I've uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I, I think it's been fantastic. I, absolutely. Sometimes I'll stop for what to say because I, I was still thinking about what you were saying. So that's a rare <laughs> thing for me. It's, um, it's really interesting. And if people want to find your books, you, you can be found on uh, Amazon, obviously is the art of having no idea going to be a book. I hope so. Yeah, that's one of my projects. I yeah. think it should be. Yeah, Thank I think you, that yeah. sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, thanks very much, Lawrence. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. 